company with over 100 million users is rolling out mandatory multi-factor authentication soon. You guess who that might be? I'm Matt Johansson, welcome to Vulnerable You. And if you guessed like a large bank or some giant healthcare institution, you'd be incorrect. It's actually GitHub. This week, they announced all 100 million of their users would be required to enable some form of multi-factor auth in order to use the code repository giant's website. This absolutely hardcore plan as the uh, headline states, is ambitious to say the least. GitHub has stated that they've been researching and planning this announcement and this rollout for over two years. We all know that usernames and passwords alone are not enough to secure your account. If you've watched any of my episodes before, you've seen that phishing is everywhere, but it's also challenging for the company to support this many users with MFA enabled. If you've never been on the blue team side of this, this comes at a giant operational cost to GitHub. You have to have processes built in for folks that are losing their devices, like their phone that they're getting their token from, or their YubiKeys, if that's what they enabled for their multi-factor. You got to include people getting locked out of their accounts and just generally increased customer support workload for something like this. This is just awesome. This is the widest mandatory 2FA rollout that I can remember. Can you think of any other ones? Bravo and thanks to Microsoft and GitHub for leading the charge here. I hope others are gonna follow and do the same. I actually just finally got home last night from Vegas last Monday. I'm recording this on the following Friday. If you like what I'm doing here, please like and subscribe, leave a comment below, share this video with some friends, or if you're listening to the audio, share around. We appreciate it, it helps the channel a ton. Holy crap a real life in the wild Kubernetes security incident. I'm regularly asked for examples where Kubernetes is the main culprit or the cause of an actual data breach. This week, researchers at Aqua Security have provided a big one for us. In the report, Aqua has outlined two different security flaws that they've identified in a ton of Kubernetes clusters on the internet. One of those misconfigurations would allow attackers anonymous and privileged access to the Kubernetes cluster. The second and less well-known issue is in kubectl, kubectl, how do you pronounce it? I never know. I say kubectl. The issue was in a misconfiguration in the kubectl proxy that unknowingly exposed Kubernetes clusters to the internet. In the research, Aqua found over 350 organizations with these misconfigured kube clusters that are just publicly accessible. This list included an unnamed Fortune 500 company with a multi-billion dollar revenue stream. The researchers say that 60% of the organizations that they looked at that are on the internet were actually already compromised with malware using these couple vulnerabilities. It's rare to actually find security incidents where kube is at fault, yet there are dozens, maybe even hundreds, I might be undercounting, of security vendors that are raking in millions of dollars doing Kubernetes security. I've even spent a good portion of my career and my time focused on the topic. You can't have an infrastructure tool as widespread as Kubernetes and not expect security issues with it. So I know that they're out there, they're just hard to find and hard to see reported on sometimes. It's also that threat actors don't like complexity. If there's one thing that Kubernetes is good at, it's adding complexity to an environment. Threat actors still like the low hanging fruit. That's us humans and phishing, and then also attacking known CVEs with already published exploits. All this to say, it's exciting when I actually see a headline with kube being the reason for a data breach. In a sick sort of way, it helps 
validate and prioritize the work that I've done and the research done by the whole Kubernetes security community. The main thing to take away from this story, if you're protecting a Kubernetes cluster, is to catch these kinds of misconfigurations before they go out the door. This next breach made me do a double take. I ran to Twitter to start writing a thread about how Discord was hacked and taken offline. A ton of other people had that same overreaction that I did, but it wasn't Discord that was breached. It was a much smaller organization called Discord.io. It was a service that was built to help users share Discord servers with each other. If you didn't know they existed before today, you certainly do now. But the company is shut down for the foreseeable future. That's pretty nuts for a data breach. I'm guessing they're small enough to not have a recovery plan. And it seems by the details of the breach that they were completely compromised. With the information that they have, kudos to the group for doing the hard thing, but probably the right thing to keep their users safe, even though it obviously greatly disrupted their service. Users of Discord.io had their data lost to the tune of their usernames, email addresses, Discord IDs, billing addresses, and salted and hashed passwords. A lot of people use Discord anonymously, so that matching of email address and even physical address to a Discord username is actually a potential spicy part of this data breach. That all depends on where this data leak ends up. My other take on this story is actually how it activated so many ambulance chasers out there that ran to Twitter to talk about how Discord was hacked and taken offline. Pretty easily disproven if you just opened up Discord. It's a good reminder for all of us out there, especially those of us with platforms, that the headlines are already filled with fluff and FUD. We don't need to add to it. Let's be certain we get the basics of our story straight before we run to our megaphones. Why does it always take a data breach to make folks question whether they should take security more seriously? Our feeling exactly this after a few recent incidents. On Tuesday, the PSNI made a mistake while responding to a Freedom of Information request by releasing an Excel spreadsheet with the information of about 10,000 officers and employees. The spreadsheet was accidentally published to the website What Do They Know for about two and a half hours before they realized the mistake and took it down. On the same day, the Electoral Commission announced that they had just experienced a cyber attack, during which the attackers actually gained access to the names and addresses of all UK voters registered between 2014 and 2022, which is affecting around 40 million people's data. There were over 9,000 breaches of personal information that were reported to the UK data watchdog last year. And experts say that not enough is being done to protect these people's information. Most of those 9,000 reports didn't get any public discourse. It sounds like, thanks to these two most recent incidents, people and news outlets are catching on to these issues and starting to make some noise about them. For this security nerd, music to my ears to hear that they're investing more into cybersecurity programs. I'll never let a good crisis go to waste. Imagine just a $70 device that can spoof an Apple TV and potentially trick you into sharing your password with it. Well, that's exactly what just happened at DEF CON recently. And if you're unfamiliar, that's one of the world's biggest hacking conferences. Attendees there, including myself, were baffled when their iPhones started showing pop-up messages to connect their Apple ID to a nearby Apple TV. Me and a few friends were standing around a hotel lobby and we noticed that our phones just kept showing this pop-up about a nearby Apple TV. This persisted until we turned our Bluetooth off completely. The researcher behind this came forward and took credit for this pop-up that we were all receiving. The device that he used to do this was a simple contraption made up of a Raspberry Pi Zero 2W, two antennas, a Linux-compatible Bluetooth adapter, and a portable battery. All of this adds up to just about $70. Apple's protocols for Bluetooth Low Energy, or BLE, allow for their devices to communicate with each other when they're nearby. The researcher exploited this by focusing on proximity actions. These actions appear on an iPhone screen when devices are near each other. You'd probably recognize them if you were pairing an AirPod case to your new phone. The device this researcher used mimicked 
the signals of an Apple TV and constantly was trying to connect to nearby devices and triggering those pop-ups. Even if somebody tapped accept on the pop-up prompts, the DEF CON researcher's device was not set up to collect any data. However, in theory, it could have. This isn't entirely new. There was a research paper in 2019 that highlighted flaws in Apple's BLE protocol that could leak device and behavioral data to nearby listeners. So what's the takeaway here? First, always be cautious about pop-ups on your screen that you weren't expecting. Second, the other one that a lot of people are complaining about this week is that if you try to turn off Bluetooth in the quick control center, that doesn't actually turn off your Bluetooth. That just disconnects from any currently connected Bluetooth devices. If you wanted to stop these pop-ups from happening, you had to go into your settings and turn off Bluetooth there, not in the quick controls dropdown. And Apple, if you're listening, Maybe it's time for a little update on some Bluetooth settings. I realize that this is by design so that our phones, watches, TVs, AirPods all work together seamlessly. But I'm hoping for a creative solution that someone comes up with that doesn't allow attackers to take advantage of this so easily. Every week lately seems like phishing campaign news week. A security vendor, CoFence, has released a report about a large phishing campaign that is observed over the last few months. The thing that's unique about this campaign is that it's actually using QR codes to trick the user into clicking the links in the email. The attacks are targeting your Microsoft credentials and especially if you work in the energy sector, that seems to be their favorite target at the moment. On the heels of COVID, QR codes have been everywhere. Every menu turned into a QR code at a restaurant. Just last week in Vegas, I saw a whole lot of stickers of QR codes stuck over the actual menu sticker. I think that was mostly just people having fun. But what's important to note is that we've trained a whole lot of people to trust them and scan these codes. But back to this attack, they're being used in some very official looking phishing emails that look like they're straight out of Microsoft. You can see the details of this phishing campaign in this report by CoFence which has seen a major uptick in successful phishing campaigns, which are utilizing these QR codes with actually a Bing URL redirect in the code. The Bing redirect is a crucial part here because when you actually scan a QR code, it's gonna preview what link you're about to click on and it's just gonna say Bing, but that URL will actually redirect you to something malicious. But since Bing is a Microsoft property and that's what you expect to pop up when you scan the code and it says Bing, and then there's some Microsoft formatted phishing website on the other end that's getting you to type in your Microsoft credentials. It all just adds to the psychology and the success rate of this phishing campaign. To add another layer to the psychology, these phishing emails are formatted to look like an update to your 2FA settings, which is another common area that you would normally see QR codes. If you've ever set up 2FA on your phone, which I hope you have, you've probably scanned a QR code on your screen with your phone to link your MFA app like Duo or Google Authenticator with the web app that you're trying to set up MFA on. I don't mean to make it sound like QR codes are a big issue here. They're just another tool. The goal is obfuscating malicious URLs and getting people to click on them. If it wasn't QR codes, it would be a URL shortener or something else. Overall, your best bet is to educate your users that you will never email them emails that look like this and ask them for their credentials. You should also be deploying things like WebAuthn or FIDO2 authentication mechanisms like YubiKeys or PassKeys. You've heard me talk about this before. That's gonna be your best bet in stopping phishing attacks for your users. All right, that's all we got for this week for Vulnerable U. Thanks for watching another one and stay tuned for more episodes next week. If you like what I'm doing here, please reach out and let me know. A number of you already have, whether it's on LinkedIn or Twitter uh, or even in person. I really appreciate the feedback. And if you really like it, please like, subscribe and share. 
that really helps the channel as we're getting started. I'm gonna go into a coma for about 72 hours after two weeks on the road. I appreciate you very much and see you again next week.